0: All Saints Sunday, day after day of the dead, I am thinking about life. I'm thinking about what it means to be alive. Because we really only know death because we know life, right? If we're lucky, our lives are marked by holy and significant moments from time to time. One such moment for me was last Sunday. Were you here last Sunday? Show of hands. Yes. We commemorated 400 years of African American inequality, resistance, and resilience in this country. Jackie preached a stunning sermon. Dion brilliantly directed an all-black gospel ensemble. Cheryl preached to us from First tip- Timothy. Achebe, one of our elders, taught us. We poured libations to our ancestors on and on and on. If you were not here last week, you can watch a playlist of the day on our YouTube channel. Here's a pro tip. You should go watch it. <laughs> In all seriousness, it was a true honor to be part of such a divine, fully black led and embodied worship. An honor I don't take for granted. And speaking of saints and ancestors and last Sunday and life, I would like to begin my time today with an apology. I am deeply sorry for the ways that my ancestors, who are raced as white, have royally messed up. For creating race as a way to keep those who they wanted to be in power, males and those with skin that looked white, in power, in power. I am deeply sorry. As an American who is also raced as white, I confess that I live in a system of institutionalized racism that I actively benefit from. So for the ways and times that I have perpetuated racism and white supremacy, I ask for forgiveness and apologize. For more Sundays, like last Sunday, yes. For continual internal and structural work by white people, yes. For my apology to be more than just hearsay, so help me God, yes. A former colleague of mine, Reverend Tiffany works at Metro Baptist Church in Hell's Kitchen One morning, she got a call that no one ever wants to get, especially not as a pastor on a Sunday morning. A parishioner was found dead in her apartment just now. As any good pastor would, Tiffany stopped what she was doing and ran to Nancy's apartment. As she boarded the elevator to go up, she was greeted by a couple just coming home from the hospital with a newborn baby in their arms. I'm not quite sure why that story conjures up so many emotions in me. But I think it has something to do with the fact that in that one moment, we are presented with the preciousness of life. An elevator moment that reminds us that we are not too far ever from death. And that we are not too far ever from birth. When we said aloud the names of those who have gone before us a few moments ago during the congregational prayer... We as a church named that the distance between those who have passed along is not that far. We claimed that we are mystically bound together through this communion of saints. As our ancestors, the communion of saints teach us how to resist, how to confess, how to forgive, how to celebrate. They are teaching us how to live something about what it means to be alive. Zacchaeus, the protagonist in our lectionary text for today, is part of that communion of saints. If you grew up in the church like I did, anybody else? Zacchaeus is familiar to you because you're singing a song right now in your head, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody go to church? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Thank you, choir. <laughs> yes, to many of us, this is a familiar story. To many of you, you are hearing it for the first time. But Zacchaeus was an outcast. He was a rich, conniving, distrusted, and disliked tax collector. Scholars suspect that the mention of his size may refer to more than just his physical stature. It also signals his status in the community. He was small in the eyes of his neighbors. The system of collecting and paying Roman officials was, surprise, surprise, open to abuse and corruption. So this ancestor climbs up into a tree because he hears that Jesus, who is revered by the masses to be revolutionary and holy, is going to pass by. And he wants to catch a glimpse. And when Jesus does pass by, he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, please come down. I'm going to your house today for dinner. Dining with someone in ancient times restored them to the life of community. And thus Zacchaeus, despite his greed and outcastedness, a word I made up at the 930 worship, was restored. Now, if the Bible has any meaning for us today, we have to think about what relevance those ancient texts have for us in 2019. We must, as theologian Karl Barth says, preach the gospel, preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Well, my newspaper tells me that there are people today who are too wealthy, conniving, And who abused power? Yeah. I won't wait too long for you to conjure up some such folks in your mind as well. Yes, it's pretty clear to us who Zacchaeus is today. Now, a cursory application of this story would tell us to quickly forgive and redeem the greedy tax collector, Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump, Mark Zuckerberg, ICE agents our racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic, homophobic, fill-in-the-blank uncle-cousin sisters and restore them to full community because that's how God's love and grace works, right? It's extended even to the outcasts and undeserving, right? How does that sit with you? That's hard. It doesn't sit with me so well. But before you call for my resignation of the caller, know that I'm not calling into question the breadth of God's grace, the breadth of God's forgiveness, the possibility always of restorative justice. But I do want us to focus on some oft-forgotten parts of this story. The first being that Zacchaeus did some work himself. He wasn't sitting at home in his greed and in his mischievous, abusive ways. Zacchaeus showed up to the place where change could happen. He not only showed up, he climbed a tree so as not to miss this teacher, this revolutionary. And thus, the stage is set for transformation. Because we remember that when Zacchaeus showed up, he was seen by Jesus, he was called out by name, and he changed. But have you ever wondered just why Zacchaeus showed up that day? Was he alerted to the new movement in town? The actual Jesus movement, if you will? Possibly. Was he intrigued or threatened by this movement that was calling into question his power? Possibly. Was he bored? Just wanted to get out of the house? Eh, maybe. One thing we know for sure, he did not receive a tip on Twitter or on CNN. He didn't read about it in an Insta story or get a snap. And I think that brings us to the second really not talked or thought about part of this story. That being that somebody talked to Zacchaeus. Somebody said something to him that made him curious. Curious enough to show up. Curious enough to climb a tree. Curious enough to be open to the possibility that maybe he's wrong. Maybe he doesn't know everything. Maybe the way that he is doing things is not the way, God's way. So who are we talking to? Who are we causing to be curious? We need to be curious and we need to cause others to be curious so we can be seen by a God who will restore us to right relationships and right systems of power. How we live this life and engage each other or not actually matters. Either we are helping each other see God and God's desires for this world or we're not. Who are the outcasts? I'll ask again. The disliked? Those seen small in our communities today. In this space, I bet we would name many of the same people. Maybe I already named some. But if I were preaching to a congregation in Birmingham, Alabama, where I went to college, actually we would be the outcasts, the disliked. If I were preaching to a congregation just down the street, one, I probably wouldn't even be preaching. But middle church would actually be the outcasts, the disliked because of our revolutionary inclusiveness. Maybe what I'm saying today is making you feel othered. Zachary Neal, associate professor at Michigan State University, writes that polarization between Democrats and Republicans has been steadily getting worse since the early 1970s and today We've hit the ceiling on polarization. Do you feel that? And at these levels, he concludes, it will be difficult to make any progress on social or economic policies. Fairly depressing. I'm Facebook friends with many of you. If you're not, we can be friends. So you may notice that from time to time, the conversations on my wall, coming from this straight white Christian mother from small town Kentucky, who's also a liberal Black Lives Matter New York activist, are just a circus. I posted a picture of myself a few weeks back under the impeach graffiti sign on Avenue B with literally no caption. And you would have thought I called for the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) And it was just a snapshot of how truly polarized we are. It was a reminder that we're not talking to the tax collectors. And yet the story of Zacchaeus tells us that we must nudge the Zacchaeuses in our lives. It's not going to work to not engage the other and hope that the Senate will flip itself, that the cages will close That police will stop disproportionately killing trans, black and brown people. That God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. But I'm not here to preach that everyone go home and talk to your family members about race and Trump over Thanksgiving sermon. I would do that if you were an all white congregation. Because I do recognize in all seriousness that the ways that power and privilege play out, there are people that must do more work of, of this type at times. And that there are others whose work is taking care of their own souls and psyches. And further still, I do believe that every single one of us have people in our lives, in our paths, that need nudging towards transformation. Every one of us, with all of our labels, all of our identities, has a front line. As my friend Jenna, who sometimes worships here, likes to say, every one of us have people in our lives, conversations that need to happen, nudges to put into the world that could push someone to become curious. That could help them see the holy. That may push them to show up, climb a tree, and allow God to look at them, call them by name, and transform them. In the book, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Anybody read it? Heard of it? Jonathan, I think I stole your copy, Chad. Jonathan Haidt writes that we are divided, not because some people are good and some people are evil but rather our minds were designed for groupish groupish righteousness we are deeply intuitive creatures whose gut feelings derive our statistic reasoning and this makes it difficult but not impossible to connect with those who live in other matrices that are built on different morals or politics. And here's a tip he offers. Don't bring up morality or politics until you found a few points of commonality. Friends, we have all the commonality that we need. We share the commonality of knowing that we are all part of the communion of saints. That we are all created by a God who loves us, sees us, and wants nothing more than for us to see too. To see across borders, to see across dinner tables, across police lines, religious lines, political lines, racial lines, economic lines. Henry Nouwen reminds us that changing the human heart and changing human society are not separate tasks. Are we seeing each other? Are we showing up to be seen? God's grace, God's salvation, God's restorative justice and redemptive plan for liberation for all of this earth is here and now. They are below us, above us, it is around us, around all the trees that we climb, all the boxes that we put ourselves in. God's plan is looking at us, calling us each by name, and it's up for us to respond. The Gospel of Luke shows us time and again how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But even so, in this parable, Zacchaeus is saved. He is redeemed. The wealthiest of all changes. And so, there's hope for us. There's hope for Washington. For Kentucky. For Albany. For the collegiate church. For me. There's hope for you. There's hope for all of us. For what, after all, is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from things that are not seen. So I'm thinking about life this All Saints Day. About what it means to be alive. I'm thinking that it means that we are not too far ever from the newness of a newborn baby nor to the spirit of those who have passed on. I think it means that we should always question what we see and what we're not seeing. I think being alive means setting the stage always for transformation. Being alive means that we are always seen by a God who loves us unconditionally, regardless of who we love, what color our skin is, what side of any border wall, jail cell, paycheck, or subway line we live on. Being alive means that in living, we are called to the front lines of our own lives. The places where we can nudge another in curious, courageous, sometimes difficult conversation so that they might show up, climb a tree, and see that God is also calling them to restorative justice and a life of abundance and grace rather than the lies that white supremacy the patriarchy, capitalism, and colonization tell us. I think being alive means inviting the other to dinner. It means knowing that we have within us the ability to see even when it's hard because God always sees us and God always calls us By name. So, what are we waiting for, family? We share God's divineness, which is all we need to hold space for all the conversations we need to have. We must have. So, let's live together, let's dine together, see together. And move together until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Yeah. Amen.